This is Monday Morning Church, the podcast where executive pastors, church administrators, and IT managers share their stories. Monday Morning Church is presented by KissFlow, the church automation solution. You can download the free ebook, The Beginner's Guide to Church Automation, at bit.do slash church automation. That's bit.do slash church automation. Welcome back to the Monday Morning Church Podcast. Britt Nelson is joining us today from West Overhills Assembly of God in San Antonio, Texas. Great to have you on the show today, Brent. All right. Thanks, Courtney. Yeah, I really look forward to this opportunity. So let's start out, Brent. Just let us know, how did you come into your position there at West Overhills? Well, I started out my uh, ministry career as an Army chaplain. I served 20 years and have already retired uh, from serving as an Army chaplain. That started out um, in college. I was in Army ROTC, but I've been a Christian from a young age and always involved in ministry. And my dad had served as a pastor. And so it already been oriented to ministry, but finally didn't really feel that call until I was uh, well along in college and almost finished. And I was serving and planning to serve in the military. And as I uh, was getting towards the end of that, getting ready to graduate, God really made a natural connection between the military and ministry and then directed me to go to seminaries and uh, became what they call a chaplain candidate and then got uh, experience like an internship with the Army and got to go in summers and took a semester off even to go do some training with the Army and then uh, was able to be accepted as a chaplain. And so that was a wonderful career. And, And so serving as a chaplain, you do a wide range of things. The first part of my career, I served with directly with combat troops. So worked with combat troops and basic training. And uh, eventually, as you move up in rank in the chaplaincy, you take on more and more responsibility. And at a certain point in my career, they identified me with management skills. I'd actually studied uh, business and management and different things in college. And they identified those skills. And so they selected me to actually go to an MBA program. That was a super hmm. deal. The Army actually paid for my MBA program. So I already had a seminary degree to become a chaplain, and I already pastored a church for a couple of years as part of the requirements to become a chaplain, and then became even more well-rounded with a business degree. And so what I did was what they call resource management or business management within the chaplain corps. Now, the chaplain corps is relatively small compared to the Army. You know, picture we have about 500,000 soldiers in the active Army and only about 1,500 chaplains. And so we need people in the chaplain corps to manage the business of the chaplaincy. Just like regular churches, there's offerings that come in. There's also a budget that comes from Congress. They call it appropriated funds. And then there's the uh, offering monies that come in and they need people to manage that professionally, just like you do in any church. So I really set the stage during the second part of my career for managing resources uh, for the chaplain corps, you know, for churches. And then I was able to also lead and manage other pastors. So I eventually became assigned to the Pentagon, which was a really exciting possibility. A lot of people have this perception of what it means to serve at the Pentagon. Uh, And it is exciting for a little while, but it's an incredibly busy place, a lot of pressure, a lot of busyness. But I got really good at cracking the bureaucracy, as I call it, (laughs) learning how to, to understand how to operate, how to get resources. And God really blessed to be able to to use those skills in business and ministry to be able to understand the system and to help channel more resources into ministry in the military ministry. So that was really an amazing opportunity to be able to, to really help with building chapel facilities and putting money into amazing family programs to help out uh, families at all levels and spiritual programs. A lot of people have this concept about the military that it's not really open for, for ministry, but, uh, 
there is a, an amazing work that God is doing in, in the military. Mm-hmm. But getting sidetracked on that, too, that set the stage for management. And then as you move up in rank uh, as a chaplain, you help to manage and mentor other chaplains and pastors. So really, I became a pastor to pastors. And as I'm getting close to uh, the end of 20 years in the military, um, my denomination, local churches uh, that I developed relationships with over the years uh, were pulling on me and calling and looked at um, more stability for my family and had a great opportunity then to transition back into civilian ministry. And then the executive pastor was really a great fit for the skills that, uh, that God had really developed in me in the Army chaplaincy to be able to have that unique combination of management and ministry together to be able to help other churches and other organizations to, uh, uh, to succeed in the local community. Hmm. So it's interesting how God did that combination of business and, and ministry to, uh, to move on to what the executive pastor is. Yeah. I mean, it sure sounds like the path you took was tailor made to make you end up where you are now. So tell us a little bit about that transition from, you know, working in this more secular environment in the military and then now this executive pastor role within a Christian environment. What was that transition like for you? It was really a smooth, seamless transition. I had actually started volunteering with the local church near where I was near where I was stationed, and so getting involved with the uh, the church world again too, and the business management of the church and the skills directly translated. There was actually a very positive difference in transitioning in that uh, I didn't have to deal with the bureaucracy anymore. I spent so much of my career, especially the second half of learning how to, to negotiate the bureaucracy and the rules and the regulations and how to get things done and how to do Christian ministry within that secular environment. And so it was really a beautiful thing when we had more freedom in the local church just to be able to focus directly on the Christian ministry. So it was very positive for me in making that hmm. transition. So fast forward to today, and what exactly falls under your responsibility there at Westover Hills? We have a, a pretty large church. The uh, the lead pastor founded the church, uh, still there, founded the church 32 years ago. And he is a, a master of organizational leadership, too, and has made a practice of studying that over the years, too. So our structure continues to change. I've only been there a few years, but the structure just continues to change and adapt to um, to the changing ministry environment in our community. And now, you know, we're well over 6,000 folks in, in average weekend attendance and uh, two other campuses that we're adding. We have an Espanol campus and a, a campus uh, out to a growing area out to our west. And so we have, under the lead pastor, we have two executive pastors. Now, executive pastor takes on a little different shape depending where you are and what church. So we have two executive pastors, and all the ministries are organized under one of us. And then so we help oversee all the pastors and directors. We also have a chief operations officer and chief financial officer around our executive team. So in this role, I don't have to focus as much on the mm-hmm. business end as I did uh, in the military role, but it still definitely helps to have that understanding about how to organize things and certainly the management experience as we have such a large team. Now, I started out in a unique role. I mentioned as the pastor continues to shape and to grow the organization, we had just one organization, one executive pastor for a while. Then I came on board specifically to put emphasis on volunteer management. Hmm. So for my first several months, first six months, really, most of my focus was on how to energize our volunteer management because most of it had grown organically. We got to the point where we had you know about a thousand regular volunteers and it just grew organically within the different ministries. But now we were to the point we needed more standards. We needed more organization. We needed to really have a, a, a plan to be able to get to the next level and moving to the future. 
And so we started out with that and had tremendous success within the first year. And then as I got that rolling, then I started taking on other responsibilities, such as oversee our life groups or our small group ministry, oversee our growing connections ministry, which connections in our context means what a lot of churches call assimilation or discipleship, first impressions for new guests, also overseas ministries like seniors ministry, women's, men's, and family life. So all those family type ministries that are coming together. Hmm. Now, I want to hear some kind of best practice you have going on there at Westover Hills, but you might have something else in mind, but I also want you to go back and talk about this year where you focused on the volunteer management, because that is, you know, something that a lot of churches really struggle with, understanding how to connect with volunteers, how to encourage them, how to manage them. And so the fact you found some success with that, I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. What were some of the systems you set up? Oh, yes. Yeah. Let me, if you mind, if I back up a little bit, just sure. I'll give about a minute of the, the story of how I even came on staff. I had actually been uh, had moved to San Antonio when I had opportunity after retiring to move where I wanted to move and was doing some entrepreneurial things and doing some working with veterans and doing some ministries and had just got to know our lead pastor and been in the congregation. And And I mentioned as he's creating and shaping the organization, uh, at a certain point, he invited me to be on staff. He said, hey, are you willing to take on this challenge of building our volunteer corps to really infusing, creating a culture of volunteerism? And so what I did, he allowed me the first few months just to study. I read everything I could read hmm. on volunteering, talked to other churches, talked to other pastor friends to uh, how do we do this? Because I had some uh, some experience, of course, in the military over the years. We run, you know, in volunteers and chapels operate just like regular churches as well. So I had a lot of experience in doing that as well. But now you know, looking at a comprehensive plan. And so the centerpiece of that is one best practice that we developed out of assessing our current processes and examining what, what other folks are doing and, and reading a lot, uh, we developed what we call a next steps class. It's not a brand new concept. It's really just a, a reworking, uh, a combination of different ideas that were out there at different churches. Perhaps some folks out there may have heard of uh, churches that do something called the growth track, where mm-hmm. they have a, a series of classes uh, for um, for new members and volunteers. It encompasses a lot of things. And and our church had experimented with various things over the years, of course. And so when I currently got there, we had a similar model, actually, of a, a four-step process over four weeks to take guests through. But we were only getting, uh, we'd get about, even in a large church like ours, we were getting about 50 people that would start out. And then, of course, the second session was less. And then by the fourth session, we were only getting literally only about 10 or 15 people hmm. to finish the, the four steps after, after the huge, out of the huge church. And so we thought something could be done better. And so in the end, what we did uh, in what we call the next steps class is a combination of our uh, welcome for new guests, introduction to the church, you know, where we come from, where we're going, introduction to all our ministries, talk about life groups. And then we uh, had a membership class that was separate and we incorporated that into it. And then we have our, just our initial volunteer training. Now we'd had a great system for training volunteers over the years, but it was a standalone class, but now we even incorporated that in here. So, so what we did in effect, we're inviting people who are new guests have only been there for a few weeks to people that have been there for several years and just never took time to get involved. Say, Hey, come to this Mm. one class. And here's an interesting thing I learned about our culture when we're looking at not only the content, but when we're looking at the frequency of the class in our culture, you know, we looked at, okay, Attendance is obviously dropping off. Other churches have had success with getting people to continue in a regular pattern, you know, several weeks in a row, too. It just wasn't working for our culture. And 
uh, I had some interesting bit of advice. Actually, we have an Espanol campus, and we have a, a, a largely Hispanic uh, community here in, in San Antonio, too. Our church is approximately 75% Hispanic population. But we even have a spit. Most of those are multi-generation, been in the U.S. for a long time, speak English. But we still have a separate Espanol campus. And so learning about the culture and understanding that, too, just a real simple bit of advice one of our uh, pastors gave me from the Espanol campus said, if you can at least get people to one session and feed them, they will stay. <laughs> <laughs> that's great advice. <laughs> you know, and one thing that's very popular around here are breakfast tacos. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's amazing what people will do if you give them a breakfast taco. If you feed them, they will come. <laughs> you know, it's true for us. It's very true. It is. And we provide a bigger outlay than just that as well. But we thought, we'll get them there. And at first, it seemed like really long. You know, we decided to make it about a three-hour class. And uh, we debated about that for a time. Oh, wow. People are really going to stay for three hours. And eventually, we've trimmed it down to about two and a half hours. We have plenty of breaks in between. We feed them. We have interactive component where uh, we have different pastors and directors lead different sessions. So we keep it fast moving. We do a spiritual gifts assessment in there. So there's some interactive components. We have a few video components to mix it up. So it's been real exciting. We've got mm. really good feedback. And the success of this, so mind you, we talked about uh, we only get 10 or 15 people to complete the full four-week session. So every month we're only getting you know 10 or 15 people. But in one year, so we just finished in 2017, in one year we had 854 wow. folks attend that class. Wow, that's a big difference. 854. So it was a tremendous difference. And out of that, um, our our membership increased too. We get membership as well too. We had 350 that joined us in membership and increased our our membership as well. And then the uh, it started out really as looking how to increase our volunteers, but became so much more about you know assimilating our new guests and getting them connected in different ways. But we started out in January 2017 with about 1,200 active volunteers, and those are volunteers. Some of them may just do one major event during the year. Some of them are regular volunteers. You know, we count all of those. And we ended the year with over 1,800 volunteers, active volunteers. Wow. So the net result. So, and then now we're in, well, in, we're three months into 2018 and we've added another couple hundred beyond that. So we're pushing 2,000 now with our active volunteers. So it just continued to, to uh, increase momentum. So that's been a big win for us in what simply we call the, the next steps class. But yeah, owe a lot of credit to other churches uh, where we studied and people that have shared materials and ideas with it with us uh, as well. James River Assembly, this is one of our, our larger churches in the Assemblies of God, closer to our headquarters in Springfield, Missouri, um, uh, borrowed a lot of information from them and learned from them too and had you know relationships with their folks too. And then Church of the Highlands, who has been really successful with the growth track, had a lot of cues with them and met with some of their staff to be able to do that. So again, just example for everybody about learning from their churches, but seeing what works in your own culture, just uh, how do you adapt it to your own culture and see what works. And one thing our, our lead pastor always emphasizes to us is that don't be tied to what we've always done in the past. And my favorite part of this is really our ending part about how we wrap it up. And this is one of the things that's been really key in increasing the number of volunteers. So as I mentioned, the class is much more than about volunteers, but that's a significant component, component of it about how to motivate people towards serving. Hmm. But we offer the opportunity at the end of the class for folks who indicate an interest in serving to meet with an actual representative from the various ministry areas. So we hmm. have a representative come at the end of the class from each of our major ministry areas 
they can talk with the person there. Because what was happening when we looked at our previous system of how do we in, how do we intake volunteers, or a better way to say that would be how do people indicate an interest in volunteering? You know, for instance, they would speak to a pastor, or they would fill out a form, mm-hmm. or they would send us a message online, and we found out that there were several gaps, and our pastor would always challenge us, how do we manage the gaps in the handoffs, or minimize the gaps in the handoffs? Or, you know, it happens in all churches, too. You know, somebody would talk to me on a Sunday, and I write down their name, and it sits on my desk for a while, or I forget about where I put that piece of paper. So then we channeled our inputs into mainly to the next steps class. We say, if you want to volunteer, we know you're very serious when you come to the class, but then we want to make it worth your while. And instead of saying, okay, you're interested in volunteering in kids ministry, for instance, when instead of when they come to the class or indicate an interest, well, somebody will call you in a couple of weeks or in the next week, you can actually talk with a person right there, start the process. We tell them about what to do for references. We also do system of background checks. And we start the process right away and even do an initial orientation interview right there with the individuals to be able to get started. So shortening that time for them to get involved had a dramatic effect as well. That's not a big secret. That's something I read from others' experience, too, and really tried to put that into practice Hmm. about how to implement it in our context. You know, I find all this very interesting because, as you said, a lot of these are like they're very minor fixes, actually. They're not really complicated things, you know, to make sure you have breakfast tacos or <laughs> make sure that you have um, representatives there at the end of the class. But this, to me, when I hear all this, is a real testimony to the leadership at your church and the fact that most churches have a really hard time changing programming once they start it or in- altering anything about it. And I, I really liked what you said about, you know, constantly look back, be willing to change things and adjust things if it needs adjusted. And that just, that's a test. I think this whole process sounds like a testimony to that leadership perspective. Oh, thank you. Yes. And then again, it's a teamwork with anything that we do as well, but just trying to you know connect with our people and every church throughout time has struggled with, you know, how do you discipleship people? Discipleship is the key word, which yeah. becomes other words now as well. How, you know, now it's connecting. How do we connect people? How do we get them involved. Every church continues just to struggle with that and look for new ideas. And anything that we do is relationship intensive. So what we did in effect is increasing the personal touch. I think that's a lot of it, increasing the personal touch. And so it takes a lot of our volunteers to help other volunteers. Oh, can I mention another best practice that really went hand in hand with this? Please. We uh, at a similar time frame, this has actually been one year now, March of last year, we entered uh, introduced a concept that we call Serving Central. And I'd seen this specifically just at two other churches previously. Uh, the first place that I saw it was at uh, Gateway Church in South Lake, Texas, where they have what they call a Volunteer Central. It's a, basically a VIP area for volunteers. So in addition to increasing our number of volunteers, how do we retain volunteers? And this is just a nice touch where we provide them refreshments. We start early in the morning. We do this on the weekends when they're uh, people come before they're serving, in between serving. We have multiple services and even hang out a little bit afterwards to be able to do that. And so in addition to giving them a little respite, a little rest time and some refreshments, one thing we found was that it gave folks the opportunity from various ministries to be able to connect. You know, in a large campus, for instance, you know, our worship folks would always keep themselves up in the choir room and the kids ministry would be downstairs in their area. But now there's a central place where a lot of them can come and gather together and learn who each other are and support hmm. one another. And so we have volunteers that are really motivated to serve other volunteers. Hmm. So that's been a great win for us. And guess what we serve there primarily? 
breakfast tacos. I was gonna say I was gonna <laughs> ask, do you serve breakfast tacos? <laughs> you know, I took I took the breakfast tacos away after a few weeks we were experimenting with what we had to offer and I got so much negative feedback about <laughs> where did the breakfast tacos go? It was crazy. <laughs> You're going to need to write some kind of um, little like ebook pamphlet or something on volunteerism and breakfast tacos. I don't, that, oh, there we go. That's, you gave me this, the tagline for the next book, right? <laughs> feeding, <laughs> feeding your volunteers. <laughs> yes, feeding the 5,000 with, yes. uh, with the, uh, the flour tortillas and breakfast tacos. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of your favorite resources just to make sure you're staying sharp and make sure you're looking forward to, you know, new things are coming out? What could possibly work at your church? Oh, I still rely heavily on uh, pastor friends, other friends in the ministry. It's the, the use the network of, of friends we've been with over the years to share ideas of folks at other churches, and some of them have their own blogs and things that they publish. Uh, give credit uh, to one of the, the first book that I read on volunteering was recommended by one of those friends was just called Connect by Nelson Searcy. Uh, and that was just a wonderful resource. He has a, a growing church in the New York City area and learned a lot of things from him. So then he has a bunch of resources that he puts out that I connect with. Uh, you know, found the Money Morning Church, uh, of course, to be able to, to learn from this resource. And then uh, another one that I've, that I've tuned into for years is even when I was in the chaplaincy is expastor.org. I think that's David Fletcher that uh, that helps to lead that organization and, and resource. So just yeah, continually, um, continually looking and researching and tuning into new things. But just to repeat, the pastor friends that you make over the years have been the best resource just to share ideas and bounce things off of each other. So speaking of those pastor friends, Brent, what encouragement would you give to others in church leadership? I've been asked this question several times over the years, and uh, something somebody said to me way back, one of my mentors, was, let Jesus be Jesus. Uh, meaning, you don't have to be all things to all people. You know, let Jesus take care of the main ministry, we're just there to facilitate and to help lead people in that direction. Because sometimes we feel that, uh, especially as executive pastors, with you have the scope of the whole organization that you're leading and that you have influence over, and there's a tendency to feel like you got to fix everything, you got to help everything. And and in our context, we're blessed to have another blessed to have another partner, executive pastor, and so we certainly lean on each other a lot, you know, and help each other out and support one another. But sometimes I know the executive pastor is the only person there at that level to be able to help organize and, and oversee things. But again, just to, to make sure that, you know, you don't feel like you have to do everything or be all things to all people. It's okay to ask for help. Look outside your organization for other ways of doing things to get some perspective and uh, to reiterate, have the courage sometimes just to say, maybe we're doing too much. Maybe there's some things we need to stop doing to focus on what you're really good at. And that's one thing I've learned at it, learned in leadership and strategy over the years. Really try to focus on what you're good at. Don't have to do everything. Hmm. And you don't have to chase every trend that's coming along either. Just because there's a newest book or newest thing out there doesn't mean it's going to work in your context. Hmm. Absolutely. And I love that. Let Jesus be Jesus. Mm -hmm. Brent, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Well, great. Yeah, I really enjoyed the opportunity. I really appreciate everybody else who's participated in this and the opportunity just to share and learn from each other in this community. This has been Monday Morning Church, presented by KISSflow. To learn how you can transition your church from paper forms to automated processes and improve your communication, go to church.kissflow.com.